I haven't had the opportunity to meet yet. My name is Aaron Campbell, serve as one of the pastors here at Redeeming Grace Church. It's my joy to welcome you, add my welcome to Matt's on this Easter morning. Today we join believers all around the world celebrating the triumphant resurrection of Jesus Christ. Unlike every other religious leader, he is not dead. No tomb marks his permanent resting place. His grave is empty and he is alive. All of Christianity hinges upon this reality. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul said, If Christ hasn't been raised, we got nothing. All right, that's a slight paraphrase, but only slightly. He said, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. It's safe to say the first believers considered this truth, this reality, this fact of history to be a big deal. Not just a big deal, the reality that everything else depends upon. Christianity is built upon the foundation of the sin-defeating, death-defying Savior. The cross has no power apart from an empty grave. Without it, Jesus is just another dead martyr. This morning, I want to focus on the resurrection, not by looking directly at the tomb or an encounter in the garden or upper room or the road to Emmaus, but on Jesus' words at history's second most famous resurrection. Please turn with me if you have your Bibles to John chapter 11. We're going to begin reading in verse 17. We're not going to read the whole account, but parts, so we can focus in on some key statements by Jesus this morning. John 11, verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now I don't think she's here asking him to raise him, Because of what we read next, when he says that he will rise, she says, yeah, I know, I know, on the last day he'll be risen. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She's saying, I still trust you, even though this has happened to us. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, 
I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Here's what we want to see this morning. We have eternal life through Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Our first point is that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. What catches my attention reading through this is that Jesus does not say to her, in her grieving, I'm going to be raised from the dead soon myself. I'll have the ability, I'll have the authority to raise others. You don't need to fear. He doesn't say, I will be the resurrection and the life after I go through a few things. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection isn't something that happened to Jesus or even something that he did, but who he is. Part of his very identity. I am the resurrection and the life. This is how he identifies himself to someone who just lost her brother. Which, if you think about it, really risks being about the most insensitive thing he could have said in that moment if he can't deliver something that can validate such a designation. That's not something you write on your name tag at a funeral unless you can also say, Lazarus, come out. And spoiler alert, he did say that, and Lazarus did do that. We're not going to read all of the account, and I don't want you to be left hanging. But this is more than just a nickname Jesus is trying to take for himself. It's part of an ongoing attempt by Jesus that we see throughout the letter of John where he seeks to identify himself as much more than just a good teacher or an amazing healer, but as God himself. Do you remember 1,500 years earlier at the burning bush when Moses stood there talking with God face to face and God said that he was going to send Moses to free the Israelites from their bondage, their captivity in Egypt. And Moses asked the Lord, this speaking bush, who shall I say is sending me? What God the people of Israel are going to ask is the one that is guaranteeing our deliverance. And in Exodus 3.14 we read, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said, say this 
to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Well, in John chapter 8, just a short time before the passage that we're looking at this morning, the Jewish leaders were arguing with Jesus. They were wrestling with claims he was making, such as, anyone who keeps my word will never see death. They were incredulous. They responded, Abraham died. All the prophets are dead. So who do you make yourself out to be? His response to them was, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him because claiming to be God was considered blasphemy. And they recognized his words as nothing else but a claim to be God himself. Don't let anyone ever tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. He may not have said it in those words, but he made it clear time and time again who he was seeking to be known as. It's why the Jews had him killed. Because they could not stand that a man would identify himself as God. Jesus makes multiple I am statements throughout John's gospel. Like, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection, and the life. He's not just claiming that things about what he was like or what he could do, but who he was, the great I am. Make no mistake, Jesus raised Lazarus, not because he was a gifted healer sent by God, but because he is God the resurrection, and the life. Jesus himself rose because there was no way his story could end in death. Resurrection wasn't plan B. Heaven on Good Friday was not fretting. Oh no, they killed him. What are we going to do? What's next? Resurrection was always the plan to show his power and authority even over death itself. And identifying himself as the resurrection and the life, Jesus was declaring himself the source of both. There is no resurrection. There is no eternal life apart from Christ which is why Christianity is not just another religion among many. He is not a way to God, but the way, which is another I am statement that Jesus made. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
If that sounds exclusive, it's because it is. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. No one else can or has claimed to be the source of resurrection and life. No one else has verified his claims by raising himself and others from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to over 500 witnesses verifiable at the time. Plus, there were multiple other readily verifiable reports included in his resurrection narrative. Things that accompanied his resurrection, like one, an earthquake that shook the whole city. Two, rocks splitting open and graves, op- and graves opening. Three, resurrected saints sauntering into Jerusalem. The earth literally trembled as its maker shook off death. Rocks were split, fulfilling Jesus' declaration the week before, crying out when the people who should have been praising him were silent. Outside the city, graves broke open and once dead saints walked out of their tombs and into the city. How's that for an evangelism strategy? Matthew reports they appeared to many. I trust they proclaimed, Christ is risen. How could you argue with a former corpse about the reality of the resurrection. Matthew doesn't give details. Had had they been dead a few days like Lazarus or even a few years like those in Ezekiel's valley of dry bones? Did they go to their loved ones to reassure them that everything was all right? News of this had to spread. If you were woken by an early morning earthquake and then a few minutes later... Your dearly departed is knocking at the door. That news is going to get around. The first wave beneficiaries of Christ's resurrection power on display in renewed flesh. It only gets a passing sentence because gospel writers focus on the source of it all. Jesus the resurrection, and the life. He is the point. Rocks cried out, stones rolled away, and angels proclaimed, He is alive! Because He is life. Death has no power over Him. Peter proclaimed on the day of Pentecost, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know him. This wasn't done secretly. Jesus lived and did all these things out in the open. It's widely known. That's why there were throngs and multitudes that were always trying to get to him. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed 
hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Point two, Jesus grieves death even as he is about to obliterate it. This is a brief point which is fitting since it comes from Scripture's shortest verse. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus, the life, grieves death. For context, we'll read the verses around it. Speaking of Martha's sister Mary, John writes, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. Think about that. Jesus knows what he can do. Jesus knows what he will do. Yet, he also knows and loves us. He knows our frailty. He knows the grief that accompanies death. And even when he knows that within five minutes, they are going to be unwrapping Lazarus' grave clothes, they're going to be hugging him and and crying ugly, happy tears, He is still moved by their grief. And the horrible consequences of the fall that he came to undo. And he weeps with them. He has compassion for them. He is a bridegroom that dwells with his bride in an understanding way. See how he loves us. The third point is that Jesus invites us to share in his resurrection and life. It was not possible for death to hold him who is the resurrection and the life. And the same certainty is granted to all who believe and rely on him. Verse 25, we hear Jesus saying, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. We have eternal life through Jesus, the resurrection and the life. 700 years earlier, Isaiah prophesied, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake And sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. This was not a new idea. This is something that God had planned to do all along. Death could not hold him, and it will not defeat those who are his. Again, in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul writes, For this perishable body must 
put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Death had a decent wind streak heading into Easter week until it faced Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Death is no longer undefeated. The darkness could not overcome the light of men. Death no longer needs to be feared. We have eternal life through Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Death has lost its sting forever, and the grave is robbed of its victory. Fourth thing we want to look at is that Jesus asks the most important question. Do you believe this? Jesus' question to Martha hangs out there for each of us. Do you believe this? We read in Matthew's gospel about the Jewish leaders paying off the guards at Jesus' tomb. You know, the ones that were described as becoming like dead men when the angels appeared and the stone was rolled away. Let's just consider that for a moment. The chief priests were given credible eyewitness accounts of unprecedented supernatural wonders confirming that Jesus was who he said he was from a group not inclined to provide such a report because their reputation and very lives were at stake with a failure of their duties. Yet their response was to give them enough money and a made-up story so the truth of the long-awaited Messiah the ones they said they were waiting for, longing for, eager to receive, so that the truth of who he was wouldn't spread and make them look bad. The reality is our hearts can always find reasons to disbelieve if we want to disbelieve. John writes in 1 John 5, Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Do we believe this? Jesus died for us 
that we might know real life. Life without end. That the temporal death does not lead to eternal death. Torment apart from Him. His victorious resurrection displayed that He alone can provide this life. Do we recognize this morning, this Easter morning, that Jesus is not just alive. He is life itself. He is the author, the provider, the source of life. He promises resurrection and life forevermore for all who come to Him. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Friend, if you know Him, you have life eternal. But if you don't, nothing else matters. Examine His claims. Investigate the evidence, believe on Him. There is no other way. Jesus' identification as the resurrection and the life reveals how we mistakenly perceive our current predicament. We do not dwell in the land of the living awaiting death but in the land of the dying awaiting life do you believe this are you convinced that this is all there is or do you know what is to come is so much greater so much better that true life awaits us. For those that do know him, we should take time to really consider if a human being believes that Jesus truly rose from the dead and his spirit now dwells within them, what should their life look like? We really believe he is alive and dwelling in us. What should our lives look like? Paul gives us a head start just after celebrating that death has no sting because Jesus has given us the victory. He exhorts, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul's saying what we do for him, it has purpose, it has payoff, it is not fruitless. What threats remain for those who know they are immortal? That know they will be with the Lord forever. We have eternal life through Jesus, the resurrection and the life. What do we need to fear? 
What can others do to us? The worst anyone can do is shorten our lives here, which though it might be undesirable in the moment, isn't a bad thing when eternal life is yours. Is there anything you would do differently in the focus of your time, your affections, your efforts, your boldness with those who need to hear his good news? The way you treat your finances, the way you relate to others. If you believed and fully embraced Jesus as your resurrection and life. When the first disciples encountered the resurrected Jesus and grasped what it meant that he was their life, everything changed. They came out of hiding. They proclaimed his good news wherever they were. They related together with love and generosity and did not fear repercussions even when it meant persecution and temporal death. And they shook their world. We have eternal life through Jesus, the resurrection and the life. May God help us each embrace our resurrection and life. And may we be steadfast and immovable in his work, knowing our labor is not in vain. Let's pray together if the band could come. God, help us believe.